Okay, we are in the uh, Corinthian letters. We're in the second one. We're about to conclude it. The first letter, Paul rebukes the Corinthians for their division and for their tolerance of overt uh, sin in their midst. Uh, He's pretty harsh with them. Uh, He tells them that he's coming to see them. He doesn't come. And then he writes his second letter explaining that to them. In that letter, he's trying to reconcile his relationship with them. And often in the letter, he brings up issues that seem to be a defense of his uh, uh, apostolic place. Uh, but he's doing more than that. We'll see that in this, in this uh, chapter today. He finally reaches the point where he talks about visions and um, uh, all the things that they're very interested in. Because some of these other uh, ministers are, are claiming uh, that they have got visions from God. So he tells them that they bear really easy uh, with foolishness, but not with the truth. So they're looking for self-promoting ministers who boast in their flesh and the worldly categories of significance and greatness and popularity. But we should be judging, he says, with spiritual eyes. He's concerned that Satan will deceive them uh, from their purpose, which is to be the, the bride of the coming Messiah. And as a spiritual father, he has betrothed them and he wants them to be prepared for that. He's worried about their seduction uh, by these who would proclaim another Jesus and who would preach about another spirit which they had not received and another gospel which they had not accepted. He says these guys are false ministers. They're apostles of Satan who alter the gospel and the discipleship of believers, but they come as ministers of light. I talked about that last week. They don't come and give a completely false gospel. They keep enough of it there so the the one deceived believes that they are actually um, following the Lord, doing what the Lord wants, uh, but they're not. So, he says that these... Uh, ministers are driven by financial gain and the importance of the eyes of men. And they use believers, they're using the Corinthians, uh, and the Corinthians have bought into the idea that these apostles are clearly apostles because they're well spoken, they're clever, they're doers of signs and wonders, at least they talk about signs and wonders, and their popularity is the proof of their calling. So Paul says, uh, because he's not measuring up to that in the eyes of the Corinthians, he's going to speak of things which he is suffering, which he is enduring. Having a little trouble breathing here, so I'll I'll catch I don't know what it is. It's over in this area that I always seem to have that problem. So, he says, I'm going to talk about my labors. I'm going to talk about my imprisonments. I'm going to talk about my beatings, the dangers, the shipwrecks. The robbers, opposition from Jews and Gentiles, going sleepless, hungry, thirsty. And I'm concerned about the churches, the suffering of those who are in them and those who are captured by sin. He says, those things grieve me. So, we end chapter 11 of Second Corinthians, beginning in verse 30 with these words. If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. 
the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascus scenes in order to seize me. They were waiting for me as I was going there. I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall to escape his hands. God is Paul's witness that he has suffered great hardships as he is trying to proclaim the gospel. Uh, but the ministry that the Corinthians are hearing is a ministry of, if you have faith and if you follow the Lord, there aren't any problems. And you will have a blessed life so that you can be an example for others to follow so they can have a blessed life. So the prosperity gospel and that kind of preaching is not new to our age. It was in their age as well. So now Paul's going to talk specifically about visions and revelations. This verse fascinates me, this chapter. He says, Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So, he begins with this idea here. I'm going to talk about visions, I'm going to talk about revelations, because it's necessary, because you can't seem to let go of that. But it's not really profitable. He's going to tell why it's profitable. Uh, he, he says, anyone, in a sense, that's what he's saying, anyone can claim a vision or a revelation. Any speaker can come into a church and say, God gave me a vision and an angel appeared to me and I was told this. Anybody can say that. For anyone to think just because somebody says that, that they are actually in contact with God, is lunacy. What they say has to match up with Scripture. And in most cases, it doesn't. Imagine if somebody came in and said, I had a vision from God. Three children who were angels, three child angels, they're, they're, they're young angels, came to visit me. If you know the Scriptures, you know that vision didn't come from God. Child angels? Where's that coming from? But what happens is, people say this and people go, Oh man, because we're a little bit like the, uh, the ones who wanted to hear something new all the time. And so Paul knows that that's the problem. And so he says, uh, I know that anyone can claim a vision. I'll go to visions here. Uh, uh, and he's doing it because of the gullibility of the Corinthians. They seem to be enamored with that. So, in verses 2 to 5, he's going to address a vision. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. Now this is a very, very controversial text. Paul speaks in the third person about a man he knows in the Lord, who had an experience. Not sure if it was a vision, 
or if it was an actual occurrence. Was it in the body or not in the body? I don't know. Uh, And he says that twice. He says, God knows what this was. But there was an experience that this man had where he was caught up to paradise. He was caught up to the third heaven. First heaven is the atmosphere. Second heaven is space. The throne room room of God. He was caught up to there and he heard things spoken that you are not allowed to talk about. Paul says, I'll boast about him. That I will boast about. But he says in verse 5, I will only boast regarding my weaknesses. Now Bible scholars have mostly thought that Paul is speaking in the third person of himself. Because he's going to go on and talk about the fact that he's had visions. It is fascinating because the context of what Paul says here fits more than that. Now, he says this was 14 years ago. 14 years ago is a time when Paul was not talking to anybody. He was being discipled directly by the Lord himself. And we find that out in Galatians chapter 1. So I'd like you to turn there. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul... In verse uh, 11, and going through the beginning of the second chapter, he says, I want you to know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. I didn't learn this from a man. I neither received it from a man, nor was I taught it, but I got it through revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure, tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my fellow Jews, being more extremely zealous of my ancestral traditions. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. But when God, who set me apart even from my mother's womb, called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His sadidbi, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. There three years later I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him fifteen days. I didn't see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God, I am not lying. I then went to Syria and Cecilia, uh, Cilicia, and I uh, was unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. They only heard that the one who had persecuted us was now preaching the faith. Now, look at verse chapter 2. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. I did so privately to those who were of reputation for, the, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. Now, I want you to catch this. Paul had a vision of Jesus. He had a, an experience of being discipled by Jesus in that process. 
And he even tested that against the direct knowledge of the eyewitnesses of Christ. He would not accept his vision as being valid against the word of God and the eyewitnesses. Okay? That's important. Because most people who give you visions are telling you something that's extra biblical or unbiblical. And so the, the issue is Paul is possibly talking about a vision he had. But it's also possible that Paul is talking about some visions that were common to the apostles. Uh, and this other man is a different person than Paul himself. And I want to tell you why. Notice the two things that Paul says about this vision. This man was caught up to the third heaven, to paradise where God is. And he heard things that are not allowed to be spoken. So I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 4, the Apostle John says these words in the first three verses. After these things I looked, and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you things that must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. So John is called up to God. He comes before the throne of God. He's in the spirit, in the body, out of the body. Who knows? Secondly, heard something that was not lawful to speak. Turn to Revelation chapter 10. In Revelation chapter 10, verse 1 to 6, John says, I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head. His face was like the sun, his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book which was opened. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, cried with a loud voice as with a lion roar, and when he had cried out, seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things of the seven peals of thunder which have spoken, and do not write them. He heard written things. He was going to write, he was sp spoken things. He was going to write them, and he was forbidden. So John also was caught up to the heaven in the body, out of the body, God knows. And he heard things that are not lawful to speak. So, Paul is not denying that there are visions. He's relating one that he knows is true of him or someone else. And we know that John had a similar encounter. Now, what's critical here is what Paul says at this point. So we go back to first, Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, 
so that no one will credit me with more than what he sees in me or hears from me. So, what, what Paul is saying is, look, I have visions. I have encounters of revelation from God. And I could talk about them, and if I told what they were, they would be true. But you have no proof that what I'm saying is true in that sense. So I'm going to talk about my faith in the context of what you can actually see and hear and watch being done in me. So that you will know that this is genuine faith and I am enduring these things for a belief that I actually have. So he's now going to explain why all this suffering. Verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... Paul's got incredible knowledge. Where did you get that knowledge, Paul? It was revealed to him. To keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. The word there is angelos satanus, an angel of Satan. To torment me, the word there, torment, is the idea of beating me, hitting me buffeting me, just constantly, always giving me trouble, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that, I might, that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I want you to catch this. This is, this is really critical stuff. Paul is saying, don't listen for someone who's going to tell you about these glorious experiences they've had to try to chase you into those glorious experiences. Because Jesus had incredible revelations from God. He had great knowledge of God. He didn't talk about that. He came and suffered and lived among us as we did. And Paul says, I am drawing on my endurance of suffering for Christ, not the great visions that I've had and the wonderful revelations uh, that I've had. I wanted this gone. What happened was, because I had those, if I would have talked about those, people would have gone, wow, Paul. Oh, wonderful Paul, right? Instead, what people were saying, you know, the guy can't talk very well. He talks really big in his letters, but he's kind of uh, weak-mouthed when he talks there. And he's, he's not... He's not the most personable of guys. And if he's really an apostle, if he's really chosen of Christ, how come everywhere he goes, he ends up in jail? And he ends up getting beat, and he ends up being uh, starting a riot. He's got to be let down uh, to hide from the authorities. He gets shipwrecked. He even spent a, some time in the, in the water. They couldn't find him. And what kind of apostle is that? That's what he's saying. He says, I ask God to get rid of this. This angel of Satan is going around like Satan did Job and just 
hammering him with circumstances. I often say to you, do not use circumstances to indicate whether God is blessing or cursing you. Because you will misunderstand that. Okay? Uh, we are to follow God in, regardless of the circumstances. Because the God of circumstances is Satan. The God of hope and comfort is our God who sustains us as we endure these sufferings. But Paul's like anyone else. Who needs this? Lord, take it away. Lord, take it away. Lord, take it away. That's Paul's Gethsemane. There's a reason he told us he said it three times. Let this cup pass from me. And God said, strength comes out of the weakness. So Paul says, oh, if God's going to in all things work good, regardless of what they are, and nothing can separate me from his love, then I will boast in these difficulties. They will be the proof. In fact, in Galatians, um, at the end of the letter, Paul says in Galatians 6.17, From this point, let nobody bother me. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I am suffering with Him. I will reign with Him. Don't call me false because my life is filled with these things. These are not my hand. These are the hand of Satan trying to discredit me before those whom I'm speaking. And those who have spiritual eyes would see that and those who have fleshly eyes are looking for success and popularity. This is fascinating stuff. So he says in verse 11, Alright, so I become foolish, but it's your fault you compelled me. Actually, he says, I should have been commended by you. For in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I'm a nobody. The sign of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. And in every respect you were treated, you, you were, uh, in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches? Except that I did not become a burden on you. I didn't charge you. So forgive me this wrong. He's back to that thing. You know, if somebody comes and they give it freely, if they just minister to you, and they don't demand it, you're not sure it's worth that much. And he says, maybe I wronged you in doing that. I was doing that under the Lord, but you certainly misunderstood that. I remember one time, uh, I was in the church, I was a music minister, and uh, uh, I was leading the choir. And um, my background, my training is not vocal training, it's orchestra. So I would lead the choir with the baton and I would work on it from that kind of theoretical perspective. And I said to one of the people on the personnel committee, uh, my training's not in vocal, so I'm using this more in an orchestrated way to get the choir to do that. They did some pretty nice things. At the next meeting, when they decided on my salary, they decided not to give me a raise because I wasn't actually trained as a vocalist. And he told me that. And I said, you're an idiot. Because you didn't know what I was talking about. And you used it against me, which means that was your attitude at the beginning. 
years later, he came to me and said, I'm sorry about that. Okay? But the reality is, people interpret things from their perspective, not God's. And Paul's saying, you've got to look at this from God's perspective, not from man's perspective. And the Bible's clear. The book of Job tells us these things, right? So, he says, you should be defending my apostleship uh, because you know that I brought you the gospel. It is the thing that brought you salvation. It's the thing that's caused you to grow in the Lord. And all of a sudden, because these other guys have visions, I'm chopped liver. You know? So, now he's going to give them a warning. Here, for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden to you. For I do not seek what is yours, but you. The children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but the parents for the children. He says, you are Babes in Christ, you are immature, you are children. It is not your job to support me. It's my job to raise you. Now that's different when you're older and the parents are in the evil days and you are raised. But he says, our relationship is, I'm, I'm the parent here and you're the child. You're not even an adult child, you're a child. And so I'm going to continue to do this. And so I want you to be aware of that. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. So if I love you that much, why am I loved less? Now, we all have said to our parents or had kids say to us, I wish you weren't my mom. I wish you weren't my dad. Raising, maturing, that's tough stuff. But the reality is, it is the self-sacrificing of the parents who really have to focus on their children rather than their own life so that the children can grow up in a manner that they ought to that should be something that the kids ultimately realize and love their parents for. And that's what he's talking about. Be that as it may be, he says, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. I love this verse. Certainly I have not taken advantage of you, though any of those whom I have sent to you, have they? I urged Titus to come to you. I sent the brother with him. Titus didn't take advantage of you, did he? Didn't we conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk with the same steps? He says, everybody I sent to you did the same thing. They weren't a burden to you either. We always came and ministered to be a a blessing to you and a maturing and an edification to you. Now he's going to turn the tables. I love verse 19. He's turning the tables. You guys have all seen uh, The Karate Kid, the original movie? And you know where he's waxing the floor and he's painting the fence and he's doing all this stuff and he really thinks that Mr. Miyagi is just taking advantage of him. You know? And the reality is he doesn't get what he's learning. He doesn't get what's being done for him. And finally it, it comes around. In other words... 
Miyagi wasn't doing anything about himself. He was doing it for him. Well, Paul's going to say the same thing. Gotcha. Okay, verse 19. All this time, you were thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Sure sounded like that to me. Right? I'm an apostle. I did this. He says, actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. And all for your upbuilding, beloved. I do this sometimes with the uh, CBS students. I talk about biblical marriage. I talk about uh, biblical theology. I talk about the relationship of the church to Israel. And I do all of this stuff. And they say, you know, why why are you giving us this? And I said, because you will never be able to say before God you didn't know this. At the judgment, you will be accountable for what you know and judged for what you do against what you know. To whom much is given, much is required. Right? So I always say to them, I got you. If I'm wrong, you can reject everything I said. But you won't be able to say that you weren't exposed to that knowledge. And Paul says, I haven't been defending myself. I've been testifying before God that I have endured His sufferings in your presence and you are without excuse. And I did it to build you up so that you will now go, ah, I have to look with spiritual eyes, not with eyes of flesh. He says, but I have two fears. Two things are concerning me. I am afraid that perhaps when I come I may find you not to be what I wish and may be found by you To not be what you wish. (laughs) Reality, right? Man. When we see each other as we really are, we can be disappointed. He says, I'm afraid, and this is always a problem. There's a lot of times when I talk about you guys and your struggle to raise your families and to follow the Lord and to put up with all the extra stuff that the Disciple Center requires. And people go, gee, I'd like to see that. And I know what they think. They think when they come here, if the lights turn out, you guys would glow. Just perfect, perfect little families. All the kids just sitting in a row doing everything perfectly, right? Everybody's singing perfectly in harmony and on key. All verses memorized in the original language, right? That's what they think. Well, there's no way that's going to happen. We're struggling towards that goal. We're nowhere near it. But we're at least on the path of that, right? And if others came along and wanted to go on that path there, but if they came and said, you're there? No, we're not there. Paul's saying, you're not going to see me as what I'm aspiring to, but you're going to see me on the road aspiring that. And I'm going to see you as you really are. And one of my fears is we're going to be disappointed in each other because we're not where we ought to be. And what I'm afraid is going to happen, he says, that there will be strife, jealousy, anger, temper, disputes, slanders, gossips, arrogance, disturbances. You know, the kind of judgmental stuff that happens in all people. In other words, he says, I'm worried that when I come to you, I will not see improvement. From when I saw you last. 
Because when I last saw you, you were divided up over ministers. You were harboring sin in the congregation. You were doing all this. I'm hoping that you have grown past some of that. He's not expecting perfection. He's expecting growth and improvement. Which is one of the reasons every year we do the the, uh, discipleship progress thing. Am I struggling closer to the Lord today than I was before? Am I on that path towards maturity in Christ? So he's afraid of that. The second thing he's afraid of is in verse 21. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and that I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, fornication, and sensuality that they have practiced. Paul says, I'm worried that God will humble me in that my coming to you, and he's going to talk about this next one. If I come to you in my full apostolic authority, and I bring about the judgment of God in and all that stuff, that God will, to keep me from being exalted, humiliate me even further with circumstances. I don't like going through that. And I'm worried that you have not grown in grace and in knowledge in your own faith, but you just keep falling back and doing the same things over and over. And I will be terribly grieved. Now, I love this about Paul. He doesn't say, I'll be angry with you. He doesn't say, I'll be, okay, then I'm done with you. As a parent whose kid gets caught in something bad, your heart is broken. There's anger and frustration, but your biggest suffering is you want better for them. Paul wants better for the Corinthians. He wants them to grow in grace and in knowledge. He wants to be able to boast of the grace of God that is manifesting itself through them. And he's afraid that he's going to see the old Corinthians again. So he's going to talk about this. He's going to beg them to examine themselves, figure out what they need to do and get into that place so that he doesn't have to come as that parent. Okay? Don't make me come in there, right? You can just, he's going to be saying that like a, like a father. The kids are horsing around the other room. Don't make me come in there. Don't make me pull this car over, right? <laughs> that kind of thing. He's going to talk. He's, I don't want to, when I come, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that guy. I want to come and just enjoy you and you enjoy me. I want it to be pleasant, not a fake pleasant. We get that, right? Families getting together, everybody act good. Paul says, I don't want to act good. I want us to really have good fellowship. So don't make me come in harshness. Because I know how to do it. I just don't want to do it. I've been resisting it, resisting it, and resisting it. So, we don't follow hot shots with visions. We follow those who obey the scriptures even when their circumstances work against them. Because that is seen through the eyes of the Lord. And we want to be growing in grace and in knowledge. And not simply uh, biding our time until the Lord comes. So let's go to the Lord in prayer.